Good morning, everyone. My name is Deb. I'll be reading our scripture for today, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The word of the Lord. Is it nice out today or what? It is nice outside. If you've been outside the last couple days, it's been really hot and humid, which is summer. I love hot, but I also love days like today. <clears throat> so this Sunday and next Sunday are going to be messages uh, that will focus on how we respond to the call of Christ for us to go and make disciples of all nations. The part of our church vision <clears throat> that says the following, to establish multi-ethnic ministries. Our whole vision is to establish multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and interdependent ministries, empower new generations of church leaders, and engage the disciples for the Great Commission. <clears throat> but this year, we're focusing, every year we focus on a different aspect of our vision as a church. And this year, we're focusing on to establish multi-ethnic ministries. And that's why our theme this year focuses on this aspect of demolishing barriers of the heart, letting the peace of Christ rule. Because making disciples of all nations means we need to reach across ethnic cultural barriers, as well as then the barriers in our own hearts of prejudice that keep us, in a sense, from doing so, of reaching cross-culturally to those who are different from us. <clears throat> Did you know that New Jersey is the fourth most ethnically diverse state in the Union of the United States? It's the fourth most ethnically diverse state. Can you guess which state is the first most ethnically diverse? California. That's right. That's number one. Can you guess what state is number two? Texas is number two. Can you, I know, isn't that a surprising? Yeah, Texas is number two. It's the second most ethnically diverse state in our union. What's number three right before New Jersey? Nope. Nope. Hawaii is number three. That's right, number three. And then, New, I mean, New Jersey is number four. New York is number five. Two states that are the least most ethnically diverse in our 50 states Nope. No. 
Maine, and West Virginia. So those are the two. They're still diverse in some, but statistically, they're the least diverse among our 50 states. So I mention this because making disciples of all nations is very relevant to us who reside in New Jersey because there's a lot of diversity here, if you haven't noticed. If you haven't, where have you been, right? <laughs> so, but it's, it's very relevant to us. For example, just on my dead-end street that I live, and there's only 11 houses on this little section of my dead-end street, we have the following people from Jamaica, Hungary, Taiwan, my wife, India, Bangladesh, Colombia, and we have a second generation of African immigrants from Kenya, and then, of course, the United States, right? Just in 11 homes. Isn't that crazy? That's New Jersey. That's why I love New Jersey, because it's so diverse. Out of everywhere we lived, May and I love New Jersey the most. We lived in Southern California. Eh. We lived in Colorado. That's really pretty good. Yeah. If anywhere else, we'd probably go back to Colorado if New Jersey blew up or something. You know. But, but New Jersey is number one because we love people, and it's so diverse here. It is. Now, I guess, you know, California is diverse too. But yeah. Anyway, that's another story. But for example, from the 2020 census, Franklin Township, where we are right now, this is called Somerset, but, you know, New Jersey's weird. Somerset, uh, Franklin Park, you know, all these different names are all the same town. I don't understand that. But anyway, Franklin Township, where we are right now, is roughly 40% white, 27% black, these are very general categories, by the way. Uh, 23% Asian and 10% Hispanic. These being broad general categories, but it still gives us an idea, a broad view of how diverse just this township in New Jersey is. Yeah. And it's amazing. How diverse is the town you live in? Do you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's in New Jersey, so it's got to be somewhat diverse. Uh, maybe if you go to southern New Jersey, maybe not as diverse, right, uh, if you go into the southern part of New Jersey. But today's text in 1 Corinthians 9 specifically challenges us as followers of Jesus of how to make cross-cultural connections in the name of Christ and for his glory. How do we build cross-cultural connections with the people in our lives, in our communities, the people that God has brought into our sphere of life? You know, in a sense, we don't even have to go out and try to find people, right? They're, they're already, just think of your life. You're, they're all around us. They're, we bump into them daily. Are we intentional in our relationships? Are we curious about these people that we see that are quite different than we are? Do we want to learn about their way of life, what, how they tick? See, making cross-cultural connections with someone is a lot like building a physical bridge, and, you know, before engineers decide on how to build a bridge, they have to think of a lot of factors that's involved. Uh, they consider the distance of what they need to span in the bridge. They need to consider the soil or the rock that they're going to be building it on, the purpose of the bridge, the cost effectiveness, and how the bridge will look, right? They don't want an ugly bridge. So these are important things and distance and purpose really determine the type of bridge that they will choose to build. And there are today, and uh, architects, uh, Norm is probably familiar with this to some degree, though bridges aren't your thing, right? 
Uh, there's seven basic types of bridges that are used today, and there's four of these seven that are most common. The first one that you've probably seen is the beam bridge, which often goes over highways. It's just a flat beam supported by uh, verticals, and we see this all the time when we drive on the highways. And then there's the arch bridge, which is usually used to span these deep ravines. And then there's the suspension bridge, like the George Washington Bridge. This type is used to span very long distances over water. And then uh, there is the cable stayed bridge. Anybody ever seen one of these? Yeah, there's one in Boston. It spans the Charles River. And it's like the suspension bridge, but it, it distributes the weight differently. It, it uh, uses the vertical supports with cables like you see there. But in Boston, it's interesting because they chose this type of bridge to span the Charles River like a couple decades ago. Even though it cost more money, they chose this bridge because of the way it looked. See, it's kind of pretty, right? Yeah. But building a bridge... A physical bridge is a lot like building a relationship with a person that is of a different culture, belief system, ethnicity than we are. Because we have a lot of things to consider in order to make a connection, a relational connection with that person. This requires us to be intentional. It requires us to be curious about who they are. Try to understand that this means intentionally seeking to learn about this person's culture, their family, their religion, their education, their values, their view of life. How do they view life? And doing this, then we hope to build a connection with them, like a bridge. Of course, this is a two-way process, right? Bridges aren't just one way. They're two-way, right? Whenever you build a friendship with someone, like Andrew and I, you know, we know each other, right? Over time... We get to know each other. It's not just, I don't get to know you, and that's it, right? So Andrew gets to know me, hopefully. If it's just one way, then it's not, what kind of relationship is that? And so that connection that we hope to build is part of that. So they get to know us, our family, our culture, our faith, and who we are. This is our goal. And so how are we to make these connections with the people of different cultures that God places in our lives? Well, our text. This is why we chose our text today. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-27. This text provides us two very simple guidelines on how to do this. Did you catch it when we read it? If you didn't, we're going to read it again. And we're going to go through this text together to make these cross-cultural connections for the glory of God. So the first guideline we see in our text for building cross-cultural connection is by simply adapting. I like this picture, right? By adapting. Listen to what Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this part, uh, I mean, wrote this letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 9, verse 22. He said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. The Apostle Paul here adapted to whoever he was with. What does that mean? Well, I was thinking, this is kind of like bear with me, uh, a country's foreign policy, right? Foreign policy for a country means this is how we've decided we're going to interact with this other country that's quite different from us. Now, this is appropriate. This isn't appropriate. We're going to do this, that, right? Well, it, this is like, as a follower of Jesus, what is our foreign policy? What do we, how do we deal with people that are outsiders than from our culture? 
outsiders from the faith, we could say. And the foreign policy here is simple, right? It's to become all things to all people that by all possible means we might save some. But again, what does this mean? You see, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the ancient uh, city of Corinth, the people and the Christians that were worshiping in that city, Paul, Paul had a passion for people. He cared for them, and he wanted them to know who Jesus was and the salvation that he brought to them. But Paul was a Jewish guy, and the people that God had called him to talk and share Jesus with was anything but Jewish. And that's a big divide there, being Jewish and people who didn't even know that there were scriptures. They didn't know anything about Adam and Eve. They hadn't heard the stories of Adam and Eve or Moses or David or Daniel. They probably, a lot of them didn't even know that the Jews had these scriptures either. So there's this big gap. They didn't know the stories of the Old Testament. They were clueless about the Bible. So how did Paul so effectively reach people with the truth about Jesus that were so different than he was? Right? Well, he built these cross-cultural connections with whoever he was with so that they could maybe understand a better about the truth that was revealed in Jesus Christ. And listen again to how the Apostle Paul became all things to all people. Let's read these verses again. I'll read them for us. Whoops. Don't work. Yeah, let's go back. Going back. Wow. We really went through a lot there. Okay, here we are. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He's talking about the, the Old Testament law there. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, which meant pretty much anybody who's not a Jew, uh, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. How do we adapt to others of different cultures? Well, simple, by being intentional and being curious. Being intentionally first, in a sense, saying, I want to make this connection. That's intentional, making a decision. I'd like to make a connection with this person who's different than me. And then being curious, learner about that person, their story, their culture, their family, whatever, their education, their, what they like, what they don't like. And verse 19 Paul wrote, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. The Apostle Paul says here he made himself a slave to, to anyone, to everyone, I mean. And this was intentional, his approach to people. So if he saw us today, he'd be making himself, quote, a slave to us. What does that mean? Well, Joseph Aldridge, uh, author of this book called Lifestyle Evangelism, he he kind of explained it this way. When freedom to share with others by stepping across falsely imposed boundaries is recognized, a Christian must be sensitive to the problems and challenges such a step poses. He must be ready to enter another culture without rejecting it, but also without selling out to it either. A slave pays attention to the needs of the person they are serving. Uh, that is what Paul means here when he says he makes a slave himself a slave to everyone. 
What he adapts himself to the culture and needs of the other person so that he then can be better able to communicate the truths of Christ to them in their in a way that they might understand. And he did this by being curious to learn how a person lives and why they live the way they do. And, and it opens up then our minds when we have this same attitude to better under, uh, understand how we can communicate to them. It's like missionaries when they go overseas to another culture, so they're embedding themselves in somebody else's culture. They need to learn the language. It's practical in order to speak. But here, the people in New Jersey have entered into the, we're all in the American culture, and so we can speak to them in English, but that doesn't mean they're going to understand because even maybe their English is not so good. So it'd be, it takes an effort, an intentional effort and curiosity for us to learn about them and their culture, their language, their history, their stories, what brought them to the States. You know, everybody has such a unique um, experience. And by being curious and learning how a person lives and why they live the way they do, then we can better take the truth that we know in Christ and then say it in a way that they can better understand. It's kind of like how we just deal with people in friendships. For example, when we uh, had a team, well, we sent two teams to Indonesia back in 2017 and 2018. Uh, when we got to Indonesia, they, they trained us not to use the word or the name Jesus when we're speaking to Indonesian Muslims because most of Indonesia is Muslim. But they said, don't use the word Jesus. And they told us why. Uh, instead, use the word of the term Isa Almasi, which is the term that um, Indonesian Muslims use for Jesus. That's how they refer to Jesus, their prophet. You know, they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. But the reason why they said they wanted us to use that term is because if we said Jesus to them, immediately all the false information and wrong teachings they've had about what, who Christians are would come into play. Once they hear Jesus, they'd be like, ah, oh, that's who you're talking about. But if we use Isa al-Masih, we have a common ground. It's not necessarily, the, you know, they have a wrong concept of who Jesus is, but it gives us a chance to then share with them who Jesus is to us. And, uh, and there was other things, too, that they taught us, and it was really helpful. It at least gave us a chance to talk to them about Jesus rather than them already having all this preconceived thinking about him. Another example, uh, a story I heard that is a way of adjusting, this one Christian guy adjusted to try to share how Jesus was important to him, is this one Christian guy who worked with someone who constantly was taking Jesus Christ's name in vain. You know, you know what I mean, right? And so he tried to give, you know, just gentle hints, or he tried to let this guy know that it was really bothering this Christian guy whenever this guy used Jesus' name like that, but to no success. So he got an idea. So one day, this Christian guy, just out of the blue, said to his coworker, hey, Rick, your mother's an idiot. And Rick was like, well, he got upset. He was angry. He was about to hit this Christian guy. And the Christian guy said, wait, wait, wait. Before you hit me, hear me out. He said, you're really upset that I just said this, right? And Rick was like, yeah. And then he said, well, I crossed the line by insulting someone very precious to you, didn't I? He says, now, you know, Rick, every time you use the name of Jesus Christ like you do, the same applies to me. I'm very hurt because Jesus is super important to me. And for the first time, this guy, Rick, started to understand 
how important Jesus was to his coworker because he voiced it in a way Rick could understand because that's how he spoke. Now, I don't suggest this is the method you should use at all. Uh, you know, it's just this one situation. But it's learning how to speak in a cultural way that maybe the others would better understand, however that means. And the Apostle Paul adapted. He gave up, I would imagine, a lot of his personal preferences as an individual to identify with people to share with them the truths about Jesus in a way they could understand. Another quote from that uh, same book that I mentioned earlier, the more mature we are in Christ, the better prepared we are to penetrate deeply and effectively in our non-Christian communities. The mark of true maturity is not withdrawal, but penetration. You see, brothers and sisters, we are not called to live our lives for ourselves. We're not called to pursue our careers, though that may be part of what we do. Everything we are called to do is in light of giving Jesus glory in all that we do to love him and to love others in his name. And so we are called to make disciples of all nations by making these cross-cultural connections with those who are around us that the Lord brings into our life and then share with them about Jesus, the, the Lord we follow and why we do so. So if, for example, our not-yet-believing friends play Minecraft, then learn Minecraft. You know, then enter into that culture and just... Figure it out. If they play golf, then learn golf. If they fast during Ramadan, then learn about Ramadan. And be able to talk to them and understand what's going on. What, why are they doing this? If they like to play cricket, then learn about cricket. And learn, learn these things because it's part of who they are. When we do this, we begin to understand better how then they tick, what's important to them, and then how we can share the gospel with them in a way that they might better understand. So why should we adapt to others? Why should we make these cross-cultural connections in the first place? It's so by all possible means, we might be able to save some, as the Apostle Paul said, and when, especially when they humbly follow the Lord Christ in submission to him. People are lost without Jesus. Are we convinced of that? They're, they may think that their lives are on focus, but they are actually going down a road of destruction and purposelessness. They will eventually figure that out. And we will be their friends and their connection that we are making, no matter what and how they respond to the gospel, because God has brought them into our sphere of life. We do not approach them and say, oh, you're not interested? Okay, I'm going to move on to the next person. No, because they're in our sphere of influence in life. We stay connected because it's also a matter of timing, too. Who knows? And we just be representative and ambassadors for Christ to them, as long as they're part of our lives. That's what we are to do. So what are the results when we build cross-cultural connections with people in the name of Christ? Well, verse 23 points this out. Uh, I, I lost control, Ethan. Verse 23. There we go. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And then similar to this, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philemon 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The more we share the gospel in some way with others, whether it be to each other within the body of Christ and to those outside the faith that are not yet believers, the more we do, 
the more aware you and I are of all the good things, all the blessings that God has already given us in Christ Jesus as his church. And it's tremendous. If we're not sharing the love of God with others, the message of Christ with others, we are missing out on the blessings that God has in store for us as his church and his body. We're just missing out. Think of Jesus and how effectively he shared his message because of his identification and his great difference with the people of his day. He identified with the culture in ways that offended the religious leaders at that time, right? He ate and drank with those who were rejects of society, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, quote, sinners, which, you know, actually was everyone. But they were upset. But when Jesus drew close to these people by his identification with them, they became very aware of his great difference from them. They liked him, they were attracted, but then they realized, whoa, this guy's completely different than anybody I've ever met. Because they saw his holiness, his righteousness, his compassion, his intense love for them. And that was different from anything they've ever experienced. Because he identified with them and yet, then they saw how greatly different he was from them. People immediately knew that, hey, this guy is different. So we build cross-cultural connections with people in the name of Christ by adapting. The second guideline in our text is very simple, but it's profound, right? And we, today's phrase is how we build cross-cultural connections is just by working hard at it, right? And this is the last part, a few verses of our text. Verse 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Does this mean a jog or a slow pace walk? No, no. This means all our concentration, all our energy, all our strategy on how would we run this race to win the race. And our race is life. And the way we live for Jesus as Lord is the way we run the life. So it's like our life is the journey. It's the race. How, do we, how are we running to win? Now, as believers, we know from the scriptures, it's not like one of us is going to win and the rest of you are you know, not going to win. <laughs> right? No, it's, we're all going to receive the crown, the prize that comes in believing in Christ Jesus. But Paul is saying here, run as if there is only one winner. So in a sense that running and putting all our efforts and energy and passion into winning the race for us to build cross-cultural connections with not yet believing people, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a lot of thought and prayer and being intentional and trial and error, learning by our mistakes. For us to build cross-cultural connections, we've got to work hard at it. Listen to uh, the rest of this text that emphasizes this point. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know, often in life we ask, you know, how much is this going to cost? Because we want to get the best for the least amount of cost, right? That's kind of our thing, right? Sales, right? You know, my, May and I always struggle because she likes to buy everything on sale, right? <laughs> yeah, right. right? But I, I'm not so attuned to that. But it's, it's just a difference in culture right there. <laughs> but this doesn't apply to the principle of 
God's love for the world, does it? He paid the ultimate cost for what? For those the least, the last, the disgusting, the rebellious, we deserve hell. We rejected him, you know? And yet he, he gave his own son, the most precious for us. He paid the most for the least. And that's the love of God on display. It, it flips things over. And our love for people is shown by our interest in them. Because we're interested, so we make the connection. We're, we're curious about them, learning who they are, what makes them tick, what they like, what they don't like, what their faith is, who they follow, what's their goals in life, their dreams. And we show this God's love for them by intentionally reaching out and seeking to build these connections with people who are quite different from ourselves. Now, we chose this text today um, because the English congregation core team, which just means we're the leaders, the people who are putting our efforts and minds and hearts and prayers into the ministries of the English congregation. We wanted to have this uh, introduced today, uh, what we're going to call the cross-cultural initiative. All right? And this is something we will do as a congregation as a whole, uh, encouraging each other over the, for the rest of this year and beyond. Uh, it's to challenge to us, each of us, to build and make a connection, a cross-cultural connection sometime this year. The sooner the better so we can continue to, to develop that and make an effort intentionally to do that. It could be a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student, teacher, could be a cashier we see regularly or just an acquaintance. We know of somebody, but we don't really know them. Uh, it could be anyone. Maybe even our grandmother or grandfather, if they're from a quite different culture than us, um, or a great aunt or an uncle, they, they could be somebody we try to reach out and make a connection with. Or, or on the flip side, it could be our grandchild, right? If uh, for the few of us here that are old enough to have grandchildren, right? Um, yeah, it could be somebody who's just different in culture than ourselves. But we cannot use any immediate family members, like our parents or our children, because they're very familiar to us. Like, I can't use my wife. My wife and I are from completely different cultures, but we're super familiar with each other. And uh, yeah, so no immediate family has to be beyond your immediate family. So that's why grandparents could work, if that's uh, an opportunity there. And today, we just want each of us to think of and pray about somebody that God has brought and already in our sphere of influence that is of a different culture, different ethnicity, maybe whatever, who comes to mind. Does somebody come to mind right now? If not, then pray about it. And I'll guarantee you the Lord will bring somebody to mind. So this is the first step of being intentional, is praying about it, asking the Lord to bring somebody to mind, to thinking of someone that, yes, okay, I, I'm going to make a cross-cultural connection with this person and invest in this person and be curious about them. Um, and then next week, we're going to look at this again, and we're going to talk more details about this cross-cultural initiative. And we're going to be looking at an example from how Jesus made a cross-cultural connection with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. So we'll be looking at that as an example and, and learning from our Lord. Remember the encouragement to us as followers of Jesus, looking at, whoa, looking at this last verse it's the last slide of my, there we go, yeah. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing 
that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for your word and your truth because it is so challenging to us. But we know, Lord, that, that you want us to grow. You want us to mature, not just for the benefits of ourselves, but for the benefits, really, of how we know you and be benefited from being in relationship with you because the more you are in us, then the more life is full and joyful and exciting and adventuresome. And Lord, we, we can be vessels of your love and truth to this dark world, to the people in our lives that are just ruled by their brokenness, enslaved to their brokenness. And Lord, we can speak the freedom of Christ to them. We can be your ambassadors in your name and for your glory. Lord, this is our desire. So grow us as your congregation on how to do this cross-culturally to make disciples of all nations that you've brought right here to New Jersey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.